Brother Kenny and I were talking, and I think Ronnie was there, and maybe Brother Jim, and we, I, I started talking on this subject and uh, have really thought about it throughout the weekend a little bit more, and I thought, you know, we need to, we probably need to preach on that. It's a good subject to deal with. <clears throat> and uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 22, verse number 8, God is giving some specific instructions to the children of Israel. And he makes this statement. He says, When thou buildest a new house, then shalt thou make a battlement for thy roof. I'm going to stop there for a moment. We're not going to take it out of context. I'm going to stop there for a moment, and we're going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the message, and we'll read the rest of the verse and go into what I think the Lord would have for the day. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather together. What a precious time it has already been to sing your songs, to be around the fellowship of your people. Lord, what a joy it is to us. I pray that you'll bless the preaching time, the time that we have to look into your word. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide and direct. May you take control of my heart and thoughts. May you take control of the hearts and thoughts of those that are here. And may he guide and direct them the way that he would see fit, that he may accomplish his work in us that this word that we preach this morning would go forth and do its work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, or God, is speaking to the children of Israel here in verse 8, and He's giving them specific instructions. If you read down through the chapter, he, He hits a lot of different topics and a lot of different things. And He says, When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof. And... Uh, we had talked the other night at the campfire about accountability, and um, I went I went a particular direction with it. There's another direction that we could also take accountability in some things <clears throat> that we put some plays, things in our life that protect us, that keep us from harming ourselves. And uh, this is one of the things that God is teaching the nation of Israel in a practical sense. But I want you to notice what He says here in the latter part of the verse <clears throat> that they are to put a battlement for thy roof. He says that thou Bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. Uh, the, the idea was this, that in that particular time period, because of the hot and the arid conditions uh, of a lot of the, uh, the, the evenings, they would uh, have very pleasant nights. And as the sun would fall, many times the homes that they built, the Israelites would go out and they would get on their rooftops. That was their social place. If they had company over uh, rather than meeting in the house where there was not a good breeze and uh, the, the joys of the, the uh, sunset and the evening hours and the, the calm and the cooler winds, they would go up to the housetops. And that was their kind of their living room, so to speak. And uh, there were people sometimes that would build a, a rooftop and there was nothing on the edge to protect people that got a little too close to the edge. Uh, we've all seen videos or or heard of uh, times when people have a, a, a get-together at their house on their back porch and maybe they have a built-in pool and uh, somebody steps a little too close to the edge sometimes and they go falling in there. And the truth is, on top of a uh, rooftop, which sometimes would be at least one story high and sometimes they'd even have some two-story or three-story high rooftops, that a person that would fall from that would certainly injure themselves and, and many times would even die from the fall. And so God says there to the nation of Israel, He's giving them very practical information here. He says, I want you to put a battlement around the rooftop. 
put a, put a banister, uh, something that is a barrier there to keep you from falling. And we got talking on this idea the other night that <clears throat> we need to put things in our lives, and the Bible teaches this very clearly. We're going to look at some other passages here in just a few moments. How the Bible teaches very clearly that we need to be putting some things into our lives that will protect us spiritually. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to Job chapter number 1. The book of Job chapter 1. We're going to look at several passages today, so if you will, keep your Bibles handy. And uh, there's another word that God uses oftentimes, and again, the same kind of idea, maybe not for a rooftop so much, but for other purposes. And the word that he uses in throughout uh, the Old Testament many times is the word hedge or hedges. And uh, Job chapter number 1, look with me if you will in verse number, <coughs> verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright one, man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou, hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. And so God comes to Satan and he says, Satan, as you, have you considered my servant Job? This man is an upright man. This is a man that fears God. This is a man that hates evil. He, he loves me. And Satan said, well, doesn't he do all of that because you've done something for him? And Satan accuses God, and he says, you've put a hedge about him. What was Satan saying? He was saying that God put some things around Job's life where Job would not be harmed by the things that Satan wanted to do. And can I tell you this, that if you're saved and you're born again, you're a child of God, that God gives us hedges in our life. Some of them are divine intervention in our lives. Maybe He gives His angels charge over us to keep us and protect us from some things. I certainly believe that there are passages that teach us that in Scripture. Perhaps a, a, an accident that we've avoided or something along those lines that God has kept us from. There certainly are many, many illustrations down through history of God's uh, handiwork in that area of protecting His, his uh, children from harm. But I believe that beyond that, God gives us hedges in His Word that we are to put into place in our life. Years ago, uh, there was a, an illustration that was used, and I don't know who the originator of the, the illustration was, <coughs> but the illustration was of <coughs> the masses of humanity uh, moving all in one direction, and they are uh, coming to uh, a cliff without realizing it. And there was pictures drawn, and I've seen pictures of them, where many of them were falling off of the edge of the cliff. And uh, then there was a fellow who came up with an analogy of this, that he said, or a, a word picture of this, and he said that in Christians' lives, rather than continuing to, to head down a, a path that seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of death, that we need to put some uh, fences up, or we need to put some barriers up, that will keep us from falling over the edge of the cliff and ruining our lives. And the idea being that there are things that we can do and we can fall into sin, we can do some sinful things that will destroy our testimony for the cause of Christ. There are things that we can do by way of sinning that can destroy uh, the well-being of our life, 
our families, they can tear them apart. Uh, our friendships, our testimonies, even our church families. There are things that can happen in our lives that can tear those things from us and tear them apart and harm us, not just physically, but spiritually. And the, the idea was that we come to God's Word and we find some things that we put into place, some decisions that we place there, and we say, okay, we're going to uh, place this fence or this barrier, or let's use the Bible word here that they use, this hedge, about our lives so that we don't cross beyond that point, that it keeps us from harm. It keeps us from the wiles of the devil. It keeps us from the places of temptation. How It's amazing to me how oftentimes people try to get as close to the edge of sin and right as they possibly can. I remember when I was a kid, <clears throat> I had an older sister. She's two years older than me. The only redeeming fact of having an older sister is that she turned 50 before I did, and I could give her a hard time. For two years, I got to give her a hard time about that. And uh, But uh, when we were kids, I liked to antagonize my sister. Any of you ever do, do that to your sisters? There we go, Corey. Get that hand up. All right. Uh, we like to antagonize our sisters. And I mean, I was I was so bad about it. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom at that time during those years. And uh, she uh, she would get so exasperated at me. She finally said, Greg, don't you even go in your sister's bedroom. If she's in there, you leave her alone. You are not to go into her bedroom. And, uh, you know, we grew up in the day that when mom and dad told us to do something, we did it. Or we got a whooping. And there is a difference between a whipping and a whooping. And I'll tell you, most of mine were whoopings. <laughs> and uh, I remember walking up to my sister's door, and she had a uh, she had pink carpet, <laughs> pink carpet, in her room. Can you imagine, fellas, having pink carpet in your house? Oh, nasty! And we had brown carpet all through the rest of the house, and there was a spot right there at the door where it went from brown to pink. And I would take my bare feet and I would get my toes right on the line of that brown and that pink carpet, and then I would take my hands and I'd put them on the sills of the door. And I would lean as far as I could. I'd say, I'm in your room, I'm in your room. <laughs> and she'd get so mad, and she'd be like, Mom, Mom, you know, she'd be calling. And she got so mad at me one day that uh, she, she came running to the door, and I, I mean, I could see her red, was, her visage was changed, okay? It was like Nebuchadnezzar. Her visage was changed, and I knew she was getting ready to hurt me bad. And so, I mean, I'm yanking back, but it was not in time. My thumb was in the jam of the hinge side of the door. And that door came shut, and the end of my thumb was like, and it just went. Then I was screaming, Mom, Mom. And the truth is, I was trying to get as close as I possibly could without getting in. And it's amazing to me in the Christian life how often we say, okay, I'm still right. I might be right next to being wrong, but I'm technically Still right. I still haven't done. There's a danger to that. And I think that the Bible teaches very clearly that we need to be putting places, putting things in our life that keep us from crossing that line. Can I say this? I don't believe that we ought to put the line right at the line between good and wrong. Because if in a moment of weakness, and we all have them, we're going to, by human nature, try to climb over that fence or dig under that fence or run around that fence, or if you're young enough, jump over the fence. You're going to find some way to break that barrier that even you've put in your life. Right there's the, the line of wrong. I think the Bible teaches that as Christians, we're to be above reproach. 
There ought to be some standards that are placed in our lives that are not standards keeping us between right and wrong, but between good and best in the Christian life. That cause us to stay far enough back from the edge of right or wrong that in the moment of weakness that we are all going to have, where we go over that standard, where we break our own uh, um, decision in our heart that God has given us from Scripture, and we break that, that we are still okay. We're not wrong. Years ago when I was growing up in the church that we were in, we had a Christian school. And uh, one of the standards of the Christian school was you had to have a haircut a certain way. had to be off your collar, tapered, and off the ears. Now, does that mean that if it touched my ears that I'm sinning? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that it touched my collar, it's sinning? No, it doesn't mean that. But they wanted the line far enough back from some things that the Bible teaches because it talks about it being a shame for a man to have long hair. Well, you say, well, long is subjective. How do you know? Well, that's exactly the point. Somewhere the line's got to be drawn. And you draw the line, I believe the Bible is very clear about this, that we draw the line far enough away from the edge that even in that time that we go over it, we forget to go to the barber shop maybe that week or whatever, that we don't... Uh, we don't go beyond that, and we don't mess some things up. Now, I'm using a frivolous uh, standard here to illustrate that point, because I'm not saying that if you have long hair that you've destroyed your life. But there are things that we could cross that would destroy our lives, aren't there? Unfaithfulness in your marriage. Losing your children. There are things that certainly could destroy our testimony and our lives. And can I tell you this? It's amazing to me how many times we do not put any hedges in our lives to keep us from those things. Look with me in Psalm 80. <clears throat> we find that in Job's life, God had put some hedges there that kept Satan from dealing with Job in certain ways. <clears throat> we know that when God removed those hedges, that, God, that Job's body was touched, that the things that affected his family were touched when those hedges were removed. Look with me in Psalm 80 and verse number 12. The psalmist writes then, Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by this way do pluck her? In other words, the nation of Israel was, was at the place where she had been disobedient to God, and God broke down some of the hedges He had around the nation of Israel. The psalmist was saying, why have, you plucked it? why have you done that? Everybody passes by now, can pluck her. Can I tell you this? When the hedges are gone, the life begins to be plucked. When those hedges are not there, then there are times in our life where Satan gets the inroad into us. He's able to come and do things there that should never have ever been able to be accomplished in a Christian's life. The hedges are important. They keep us protected. They keep us away from some things. Look with me in Ezekiel chapter number 13. The book of Ezekiel, <clears throat> chapter number 13. And I want us to spend a little bit of time here as we take a look at some things. Within the context of this passage, we find in verse number 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... Now, anytime I see that phrase or a phrase similar to that, I want to sit up and take notice because this isn't just Ezekiel teaching things that he thinks is best. This is Ezekiel saying, God has told me this... And now I'm sharing it with you. And I want to know, what does God say about some things? And he says here, verse number 2, he says, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, Hear ye the word of the Lord. 
Thus say the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit. Now, that's a, that's a key phrase in this verse. And have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Now, let me just explain what's going on here. The religious leaders of the day had become that which were, they, were, uh, they were trying to tickle the people's ears. They were doing it for uh, money's sake and for popularity's sake. And they were not speaking truthfully. They would say, thus saith the Lord, and God had not said it at all. They, they were teaching them things. The Bible says in verse number 3 that they were following their own spirit. In other words, whatever they thought was a good idea. By the way, don't we see a lot of that kind of preaching nowadays? We find a lot of men that stand in the pulpits of so-called churches that preach after their own spirit. They say things. Look in verse number 3. The Bible says they follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They get up and they tell the people, God has told me this, and God hasn't told them that. They get up and they say, I believe that God is showing me this, and God isn't showing them that. They're speaking after their own spirit. And it created, in the context of this passage, it created some gaps in the hedge around the nation of Israel, there were chinks in the armor, if you will. There were openings where the enemies of Israel could come in and have, uh, have havoc with Israel because these false prophets, these men that were getting up and speaking their own spirit, and they were speaking things that they did not see, had created gaps in the hedge. Those that were responsible for the well-being, spiritual well-being of God's people were not doing the job of keeping the hedge tight. And there were some gaps. And God rebukes not only the prophets here that did that, but notice in verse number 5, <clears throat> He rebukes Israel. He says, Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Can I tell you this, that it is possible for you and I to disregard the things that God has given us to protect us in our Christian lives. To, to say, I, I know the Bible says this, but... And we begin to disregard it, we put a gap in the hedge. When the Bible tells us that we're to live this way and we're to uh, stay away from these things and we're to do these things, and we begin to say, okay, that's good teaching and I'll follow most of it, but when certain things happen, there's a gap in the hedge. And God not only blames the religious leaders of the day, but He blames Israel. He says, Israel, you've not, you've not made up those gaps. You've seen them. You've seen that there's been chinks in the armor, spiritually speaking, and you've not stepped into the gap. Now notice as we get down, and we go down a few more verses here. I'm going to say in verse number 6, They have seen vanity, lying, divination, saying the Lord, saying, the Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have ye not seen a vain vision? Have ye not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say the Lord say it, albeit I have not spoken. In other words, he said, these guys are getting up saying, thus saith the Lord, and I haven't told them that. That's what God's telling them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God. Again, anytime we see this phrase, the ears ought to perk up. This is what we call a good verse in Scripture. They're all good, right? But boy, when this one comes up, we say, oh man. 
Let's look at this. Because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God, and mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity. And the divine lies, they shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel, neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord God, because, even because, they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, and there was no peace. Notice this, And one built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it, with untempered mortar. A few years ago, it had been about 17, 18 years ago now, 15 years ago, I took a trip down to Haiti for a week. It was one year after the big earthquake that they had down there, if you remember back a number of years ago. And while I was there, we went and visited about 35 or 40 missionaries. One of them was at the top of a, a, a hill uh, overlooking uh, Port-au-Prince, and they had a Bible institute up there. And uh, we met with some of the students that were in the Bible institute. One of them came and sat with us for an interview that was being done by a radio, uh, Christian radio fellow that had gone with us. He said for 19 hours he laid under the rubble of a building that had collapsed on him and his friend. He said they were within reaching distance. They could touch fingertips is all they could touch. He said every aftershock, the rubble would settle. And he said, finally, he said it was to where my friend's head was as far as it could be turned, and it was on his head like this. And then he said he knew that the next aftershock, he would probably be killed. And sure enough, another aftershock came, and his friend didn't speak after that, and he didn't know that he was alive or dead, but he ended up perishing in that. This young man spoke of the hours that he was there waiting for rescue and people coming. And finally, they dug him out. He didn't expect to make it, but he did. He was there to tell the testimony. And one of the questions that was asked of this young man, because there had been such devastation, they said, why is it that with this magnitude of earthquake that you had, there were such devastation of these concrete buildings? I mean, they would build, they would build concrete block walls. And they had concrete ceilings that they would pour and floors that they would go two or three stories up with. And the young man said, because we don't make our concrete like they do in the United States. He said, it's mostly sand and very little mortar. You know, from that time on, I went back two or three times and did some building uh, houses for some people and trying to help get uh, some people back in homes again after that. And those people refused to ever have a concrete roof over their houses again because it was untempered mortar. It had the appearance of strength, but it was weak. And can I tell you this, that there are so many times that we in our lives put things in place that appear to be strong, and the truth is they're weak because they're not based upon the principles of God's Word. Can I tell you this, that God has given us a whole book that guides us in how to build those hedges and how to build those battlements. He gives us a whole book of, of things that we are able to place and to put into our lives that keep us from things. And He sets, he sets the, the standard far enough back 
that even if we're to fall over top of that, our life is not destroyed. Look with me as we continue to read on in verse number 11. Say unto them which daub it with untempered mortar that it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower, and ye, uh, O great hailstone, shall fail, fall, and the stormy wind shall rend it. Look with me down in verse number uh, 13. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will even rend it with the stormy wind in my fury, and there shall be an overflowing shower in mine anger, and great hailstones in my fury shall consume it. God said, you've allowed some hedges, some, some mortar that is untempered. And he says, there's a problem there. He said, it's not, my, it's not my hedge. It's not the truth of the prophets that have said, thus saith the Lord. But it's a group of people who have come in and said, this is what God said and I haven't said it. Can I tell you this? There are a lot of people who say, you know what? I believe my life would be better this way. And then we come to Scripture and find out that's not what God said. We say, okay, I believe the Bible teaches this, but in order for me to be truly happy, Pastor, I think I'd be better off doing it this way. Can I tell you this? There's no improving on doing it God's way. Now look with me, Will, in Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter number 22. Ezekiel chapter number 22 and verse number 30. God writes this, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Well, what a sad statement. God said, you know, there were these, these folks that created these holes, these gaps, they were false religious leaders. They taught things that were not so, according to Scripture. And I looked for a man that did have the ability to stand firm upon the, the principles of Scripture. I looked for a man that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. A man that would preach the truth of what God had said. A prophet that would stand up boldly and say, Thus saith the Lord. And he said, I looked for those. So they could make up the hedge and keep the protection around the nation of Israel. Can I tell you this? There need to be some men in our churches that will say, I want to stand in the gap and make up a hedge around this family that God has given to me. There need to be some men that will say, I'm not going to use the, the philosophies and the vain deceits that this world teaches about happiness and about the, 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 uh, the, the philosophical reasons and the, the, the psychotherapies that they tell us about how to have a happy home. I'm going to go to God's Word and I'm going to find out what does God say about it. And we need to build happy homes and godly homes. We need to build godly families. We need to rear children and according to God's Word. We need, to, we need to have a testimony among this world that is based on the principles of Scripture. If you were ever accused of being a Christian, you were brought to court, would there be enough evidence to convict you by your peers, by your co-workers, by your neighbors? Is there enough testimony of those that would stand upon the principles of God's Word and say, I believe that our life ought be lived according to the things that God has given us to put hedges of protection around us? And we do so without compromise. And God said, I looked for a man 
that would fill that gap. The gap that was created by going contrary to God's Word. I looked for a man that could fill that gap. And God says, I found none. What a sad statement. You know, we're living in a time, I'll be real honest with you, we as America have been considered a Christian nation. I think you would be hard-pressed to read the history of this country and how it was formed and not realize that it was done by a very prosperous hand of God that aided the forefathers in setting the standards and the constitution of this country, the laws that it would abide by. But can I tell you this, that in 200 plus years, there's been a lot of gaps that have crept in. There's been a lot of people that have said, you know what, we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to do it our way. We think we have a better idea. And I look at our country and I think, where's the men that will make up the hedge and stand in the gap? Where are those that will put the boundaries about us as Christian homes and Christian countries that will say, Thus saith the Lord, and it be what God has said. To take this blessed book and teach it line upon line and precept upon precept, valuing and and pursuing passionately that it be accurately preached, that we study it and that we know it well and that we know it thoroughly and that we proclaim it loudly to a world that needs to hear it. Where are the men? Where are the families, the Christian families that God has built up and put a hedge around that will make up the gap in this country? We're in desperate need in the day and the hour that we live in for there to be some men of God, there to be some people of God that will say we're going to follow by God's Word in God's Word alone. If God has said it, then I want to do it. If God has said no, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay away from it. But I want to make up the hedge. Because there's been some hedges that have been broken in recent years. We look at our society, and the no truth is, we can say our society has been broken, hasn't it? Woe unto them that calleth evil good and good evil. There need to be some people of God that will stand up And they'll stand firm, not on their own ideas, not on their own, not on their own beliefs, but upon what does God's word say. There are times that I'm driving down the road and I'll listen to a conservative uh, talk show where people call in their opinions about things of politics and things like that. And I hear a lot of, well, I think this and I think that. And that's our problem. We've got to quit living our lives by the conservative talk show guidelines. By the way, we've got to quit living our lives by the liberal talk show guidelines. And we need to come back to God's Word and say, this is what God said. I'm going to stand in the gap. And I'm going to take the things that God has given us to make up the hedge with. And we're going to make up the hedge. The things that God has given us in His Word that are there for our protection, I'm going to make sure that they're back in place where they belong. Could you imagine going up to the housetop, being there in the evening hours, the sun begins to set, 
it gets dark, it's hard to see, and you get too close to the edge. You fall off. I'm thankful that we have a God that gave us a Word of God that not only shows us how to be saved, but it shows us how we're to live our lives once we are saved. It teaches us that there are some hedges that need to happen in our lives. Years ago, my dad preached an entire series on this subject. He went down to the forestry service and he bought a bunch of these little cedar seedlings. He gave them out to each person in our church. He said, I want you to plant these in your yard. He said, every time you look at it, I want you to think of the hedge that is spoken of in Scripture. I was a teenage boy at the time, and we had a few of them left over. My dad didn't just take one seedling. You know how it is with teenage boys. He likes you to work out in the hot sun, so we put them all around our yard. We literally made a hedge around the entire yard of our house. That was 20-some years ago. There's not a day that I look at those trees when I'm home visiting my mom. There's not a day that went by hardly ever when I would see them growing up that I didn't think of the thing that my dad had preached about. We need to have hedges in our life. Can I tell you this? We're living in a day where if we're not careful, we'll forget about these things very easily. We'll forget about the things that God has taught us from Scripture. Be ye holy, for I am holy. What a great thought. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So many things that God has given to us in Scripture. Things that we're to stay away from. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. God's given us these things over and over and over again. God has taught us things that we need to have in place in our life that make up a hedge about us. And he's looking for some men that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. He's looking for some fellows that will come back to God's Word and say, it doesn't matter what my thoughts are on it. What it matters is what does God's Word say about it. And then do it. That we would make up the hedge. God's made it available to us. Where are the men? Where are the women? Where are the children that will stand up and say, I will make up the hedge. I will stand in the way. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, we're living in some very dire times in our, our day. As we see so much corruption in our society, we see so much corruption, sad to say, even in the churches across America. Those that will not hold to your word, those that will deviate and say, well, we want to bring in things that uh, please people. We want to bring in things into our church, so entertainment and the, uh, the wow factors that will draw a crowd. Lord, may we just do it according to your word. May we stand for what is right. May we be steadfast. May we find the, the gaps in the hedge and stand in the way. Proclaim your word boldly. That we would hold forth 
with steadfastness the truth, the doctrine, the teaching of Your Word. Father, we pray that You would help there to be some folks in this room today that will purpose in their hearts and dedicate themselves afresh and anew to the idea of holding fast these things, that we would not have a break in the hedge. We pray that You'll bless the invitation and use it as You would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.